Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hey, it's me, Brett Iwan, the voice of Mickey Mouse. Oh, boy. And you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's in theaters, what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician, lifelong Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan. And you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard. I'm an artist, filmmaker, and author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, I am broadcasting from our beautifully re-alpheted uh, Skull Rock Podcast mobile studio from Napa Valley, California. Yay, I love that. That's amazing, Dave. You sound great. You sound like a million well, bucks. Well, you know, that's because of our friends at Shore Microphones. Yay. And we're giving them a shout out because they outfitted the uh, the mobile studio here, you know? Yeah. And I have to tell you, this this whole setup is incredible. Yeah. Isn't it? They are. They are such good people at Shure, and I've been using their products for many years now, and I'm so happy they've jumped aboard to support Skull Rock Podcast and give you the tools you need to wherever you go to have awesome sound. And, you know, as the pandemic subsides, I will be doing more and more traveling, so I will be in the Mobile Skull Rock Podcast studio someplace <laughs> Wherever I land, and uh, now I've got this incredible setup. Now oh, it's so good. Dave. I, I love the folks at Shore. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Shore, for sending the microphones to Dave and myself. We do sound like a billion bucks. <laughs> Dave, you always sound wonderful. So uh, it's wonderful that they're they're hopping aboard. So thank you, Shore. Mike, you'll find a link in our show notes if you happen to want a, an awesome microphone that sounds great, that's portable, as well as something you can use on your Zoom calls to just really kick your your presentations up another notch. This is an amazing sound. Yeah, and I got I I just want to mention that they. Sound- sent me the MV7 podcast kit 
and this is just this compact kit that I can throw in the bag and uh, take with me anywhere I go. Yes. Yeah, it's really yeah. great, great stuff. We'll have a, a link in our show notes if our listeners are, you know, want to check it out for sure. And let them know Skull Rock Podcast sent you. That'd be amazing. So, um, and we'll also probably share some photos online too on our Instagram and Facebook pages too of the gear. So it's going to be pretty cool. And listen, I want to, I want to tease a little here uh, because we have a fan. Fantastic guest. We have uh, Mark Cole, uh, who's director of photography for Disney Plus's The Quest. Mm -hmm. And and this is a really cool show, I have to say, Al John, because this is like the producers of Game of Thrones got together with the producers of uh, the reality shows, the the big reality shows that are out there. And uh, they they put together. So it's almost a hybrid reality show. It's, you know, actors in medieval times in this, you know, fantasy world with a castle and everything. And then these eight kids that come in to do the quest. It's really cool. It's a cool concept. And I'm glad that it's airing on Disney Plus because it has that element of fantasy and role play and fun, but also has that dramatic quality as well. And it's just a a very unique and really nice looking show. So uh, I can't wait to just talk more with Mark about what's going on with that show and how the show came together. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But first, we're going to take care of some business, right? We we, we have a winner for our uh, giveaway of the Claude Coates, uh, Walt Disney's Imagineer, The Making of Disney. Disneyland book yes. signed by Alan Coates and myself. We're yes. giving it away to who? <laughs> yes, we do. I mean, we had, we, had, we had thousands of people, right? Yes, thousands of people checked it out on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you, by the way, for doing that. And we have a winner drum roll, please. Cody Hickman. So Cody. Cody Hickman. Where's Cody Hickman located? Do we? Well, know? I have no idea, but he's uh, from the United States. <laughs> Excellent. So, and, so we're yeah. gonna we're gonna have to email Cody and get his uh, shipping address so that yeah. we can get that book off to him. Yes, he he's on Facebook and Twitter. So, Cody, we're gonna reach out to you and you'll get your own signed autographed copy of the Claude Coates Walt Disney's Imagineering book and uh, very very cool book. And it's back in stock. Uh, you know, so check out our link to uh, the Old Mill Press to check that out as well. And, order it from your local bookstore because they can grab a hold of it as well. But, uh, you know, Old Mill Press is actually the best way for you to get the signed copy of it or a signed copy of it. So, And you know something? Congratulations to Cody Hickman. Um, Your book is going to go in the mail in the next week. Yeah, that's awesome. And you can expect more great promotions and, and giveaways like this from us because we just love you all that much that's how much we love you we're going to give you more and more of this really cool stuff and uh, that way you can not only when you go to the parks or you go on vacation listen to skull rock podcast but you have a nice book to pop open during your adventure as well so very there cool. you go yeah well before we get into our uh, interview and new segments for this week we also want to talk about what we've been streaming and i know dave you've been on the road and in all kinds of different adventures uh, because it is summertime so dave has to live his best life and get out there in the 
sunlight. Uh, so uh, have you been able to stream anything this week? Yeah, you know, I, I actually watched the third episode of The Old Man with Jeff Bridges, yeah. uh, which is on FX. And I'm happy to report uh, this it, each episode, it just keeps getting better and better. Okay. And FX has already picked up The Old Man for season two. Wow. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. So I'm, I'm keeping up with that. Uh, and then I actually binged watched uh, uh, a show. It was six episodes. It's called Redemption. Mm. Now, this is kind of an interesting show. Uh, it's on BritBox, which is which is on Amazon Prime. And and I'll give you just a little descriptive here. Uh, Detective Inspector Colette Cunningham's no nonsense approach to policing has earned her the respect of her Merseyside police colleagues. She seems unflappable until she gets a call from the Garda in Dublin after the body of a young woman is discovered. And uh, I have to tell you, this is uh, essentially an English police officer who has to go to Dublin. And by the way, for our listeners, in Dublin, the police are referred to as the Garda or the Garda Shakona. Uh, which is uh, essentially Gaelic uh, for their police. And it stars Paula uh, Malcolmson. Uh, and you may remember her, Al John, if you watched the Ray Donovan series. Yeah. She, she played Ray, Donovan, Ray Donovan's wife. Gotcha. Uh, on that series. So Paula uh, Malcolmson is the lead in this uh, six episode uh, show. And it's really well done. It's really fantastic. I enjoyed watching it because, you know, Nancy and I lived in Dublin, Ireland for uh, uh, almost a year. Yeah. Uh, many moons ago. And uh, so it was really kind of fun uh, to, to see the different locations and try and figure out where they were in the city and stuff like that. It was, it was really fun, but it's, but it's a great show and it's well acted. Okay. Well, that that's great. Yeah. You keep on talking about it and it's like, Oh, I've got to put that in the, the old queue. Um, but yeah, so that, that was all I was able to squeeze in because, you know, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, we're in beautiful Napa Valley, the wine country of, uh, Northern California. Uh, we came up here for my nephew's wedding and we're just having a ball. Oh, that's amazing. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, um, it looked like you guys were having a wonderful time from the photos. So. Yeah, I'm going to post some more pictures on Facebook. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Awesome. And, and you, get, you get to see me out of a black shirt uh, <laughs> and, 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 and in a tuxedo. Uh, a very rare occurrence, my friend. Very I, rare occurrence. I love it. You know, you are, you literally have taken the mantle from Johnny Cash as being the man in black. You you know, that's not a bad thing. When you come to Nashville, you can check out the man in black museum and then you'll fit right in. It'll almost be camouflage. And I'll walk the line. <laughs> well, uh, I have been Netflixing and chilling. Um, I am on vacation. So uh, not only am I, uh, I've got the honeydew list going. But uh, the wife and I have been checking out a lot of just just random shows. So not only do we keep on, you know, we're watching Miss Marvel, and and I and I'm I'm saying the, this to to everyone listening out there. Um, give this show a chance. I I realize that um, you know you're dealing with a teen high school drama in a lot of respects, but I really do love this show. I can't tell you how much I love this show. 
It's just, it's new. I feel it's fresh and I feel that uh, it's, it's really great to see, uh, to see this character, you know, kind of brought to life in such a great way by some really amazing um, young actors and actresses. So, you know, please give uh, Miss Marvel a shot there on Disney plus. I also have been able to uh, start catching up with the boys and uh, now, this is the new season. I've actually watched the previous seasons and I've really enjoyed this series, uh, but I haven't had a chance to uh, sit down and start watching the new season that dropped. It dropped like a month or two ago. Didn't yeah, it? yeah, it yeah. did. And I've been trying to finish up season two to get to season three. And it's so dark, Dave. It's so yeah. dark. I mean, this show is a parody of what Marvel and DC are doing yes. in terms of the superhero genre for the uninitiated. So it's super dark, very ultra violent, and it's amazing to me what they can get away with on streaming. It, I mean, I, it's amazing to see what they can get away with on network TV these days. I thought NYPD Blue in its heyday in Hill Street Blues was pretty pushing it back when I was yeah. growing up. But these days, like with Walking Dead and all that, and now the boys on streaming, it's super dark and it's super crazy. So if you're willing, <laughs> willing and have the stomach and intestinal fortitude to sit through this uh, parody that's well acted and the drama is well done, pays amazing tribute to the comic book source material graphic novel. And let me say, uh, graphic novel, the term graphic is really put to the test in this season. Wow. It's graphic and it's crazy. And I love it. I can't help myself. It's like oh, watching it's, a car crash. It's I can't, all right. I can't turn away. All right. um, the Web of Make-Believe. What is, is that? A, so The Web of Make-Believe is a documentary f uh, series. I believe it's produced by Ron Howard. But this is basically how the internet is turned on its head. And there's a bunch of just you know, conspiracies and different things um, in this documentary series uh, that people have have found to conspiracy, fraud, violence, murder, what starts on virtual can get real all too quickly when the web of the world, a uh, worldwide web, um, and so are the consequences. It's web of make-believe, death lies, and the internet. It's a documentary, it's a crime series, and it's funky. So wow. if you're in, right. if you're interested in that kind of stuff, you know, once again, I think that's Ron Howard's uh, produ producing, but uh, he he's been doing some interesting documentaries as of late, producing them anyway. Yeah. Um, also, the unexplained. So this is uh, kind of one of those uh, streaming shows that is done like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh -huh. And it's hosted by William Shatner. Oh, yes. Yeah. I actually uh, did an episode of this last season. Uh, I was briefly on uh, talking about uh, the lost city of Atlantis. That was you? That was me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I've got to rewatch re that because they have a they have another season. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've been we've been picking and choosing now. I, I, now we have to see it now. All right. So, yeah, the unexplained. So they have a new season. We've been watching that. Prank Encounters is another show. Um, you know, Stranger Things is great. And one of their stars has got this brand new um, prank show. Um, so, yeah, if you if you're a big fan of um, uh, Gatton Massaro. Uh, also, David Stores and Peter Giles is in this show. It's it's basically like uh, Scare Tactics uh, that was on Sci-Fi for a, a while back, and it's crazy. You have actors doing this thing, and they get punked um, by these people, these unsuspecting people that are in these really weird supernatural and horrific situations. And so, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big mess, but it's fun. And then, of course, the next season of Iron Chef, they've got it. Alton Brown uh, returns as a host, and 
it's great. If you love Iron Chef like I do and you like to see really interesting and um, interesting culinary uh, competition, then Iron Chef is for you. But I've been a big fan of the original Iron Chef and my wife is yeah, too. I've watched a lot of Iron Chef over the years. Uh, Nancy and I watch that together. She likes a lot of these cooking shows. Uh, I'm the chief pot washer in our house, but uh, Nancy Nancy is the chef. I love that. And it's same same for my household. I, <laughs> I could The only thing I can cook is uh, anything out of a box and some French toast. That's about it. There you go. I could do a, a mean PBJ and, <laughs> uh, and a tuna melt. You see, we're, about it. we're just like bachelors, man. It's like it's never changed, you know? Well, uh, well, what are you streaming? Let us know in the comments. Let us know by email, and we'd be happy to take a look at it and uh, talk about it here on the next episode of Skull Rock Podcast. And now we have... Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. Oh, Dave. Tell me. Tell me all about the story of Bob Chapek. Well, you know, I, I have to say, you know, the headline is embattled Disney CEO Bob Chapek gets contract extension. So, you know, the news came across uh, this past week uh, that uh, the Board of directors of the Walt Disney Company uh, extended or you know re-upped Bob Chapek for another three years uh, on his deal. So I think they needed to do this. Uh, certainly, uh, I don't know if I would say embattled. I would say that you know the CEO Bob Chapek. Uh, I mean, there's there's been certainly some missteps uh, that could have been handled differently, uh, and uh, but. I think the board, uh, the board was right in saying that you know JPEG really steered this this company through a pretty nasty pandemic, uh, nasty to the Disney company because it affected so many of the company's uh, really you know main pillars of revenue. Uh, you know, the parks were shut down. And by the way, I will I will mention that Shanghai Disneyland has reopened. There you go. Uh, you know, I saw a little news blurb about that. So, you know, you, you had a pandemic that shut down the park system. You had uh, the pandemic shut down movie theaters. The pandemic shut down cruise lines. I mean, you know, the vacation clubs. I, I mean, there were so many aspects of the company that were shut down during the COVID pandemic. Uh, and Chapek steered the, the company through some pretty choppy waters. Um, and yes, was there, was there some missteps down in Florida uh, with the don't say gay bill and other things? Uh, absolutely. But guess what? I think that you have to look at everything he's done during the first three years as a CEO. And you got to give him a lot of credit for, for steering this company through uh, through some pretty bad times. So, hey, let's see what the next three three years are, are going to be and uh, things hopefully are going to smooth out. But the one thing that wall street, you know, when we start talking about the Disney stock price, you know, cause that's been hammered in the last, you know, eight months. Uh, the one thing uh, wall street hates is uncertainty. So now they have certainty. They know that Bob Chapek is going to be the CEO for three years beyond uh, the end of his contract in February. So he's got that three-year extension. So that's going to put a lot of investors at ease. 
and maybe we'll see a recovery in the stock price, but only time will tell. I think you put everything into perspective, Dave. Um, yeah. I, I give credit where credit is due because yeah. everything that Disney has done is about entertaining the masses. And when the masses can't be entertained or they can't go and leave their home to do all of those things at the parks or in the movie theaters or, you know, vacation, you know, what do you do? So yeah. I, I give credit where credit is due. So now this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, you know, things are leveling off. The economy seems to might be slipping back into some kind of, you know, um, you know, well, the economy is uh, in its recession, you know. Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, honestly, they're talking, are we going to go into a recession? We're in a recession. We're in a recession. Let, 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 let's just, let's just, you know, call it as it is. Mm -hmm. We're in a recession. All you have to do is go look at the, the gas prices uh, and go to the supermarket. But that said, uh, I think we're going to be coming out of that. Uh, I think the second half of this year is going to be much better. Um, uh, there, there's already some, some glimmers of, uh, hope, uh, some, uh, some green shoots popping up as they say, mm -hmm. uh, where, uh, you know, prices are starting to come down on certain items. Uh, and you know, if we can get some relief on gas prices, uh, you know, we can get back to business of, you know, uh, enjoying life, uh, and not worrying about all this craziness. Well, I tell you, people are ready to go back to the movies. We'll talk about the big box office this weekend. But what was released this week was the highly anticipated Disney Plus streaming film, Hocus Pocus 2. It reunites Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy, and it's available now to see. The trailer looks great, Dave. There was a reaction video from the three stars of the film as well as they return to their their roles after almost 30 years. Dave, it's like time has not uh, has stopped for these, these uh, women in these roles. You know, Al John, I have to say, I was excited when I watched this uh, Hocus Pocus 2 uh, trailer. It felt, it had the feel of the original movie yes uh um you know it's, it's got a new cast of kids they're they're in a new place uh but you know having the three stars come back uh and they look fantastic yes uh in costume uh and i'm excited about seeing this because you know hocus pocus is is a staple in our household that halloween time uh yeah. we always watch it together as a family same here it's been nearly 30 years since uh, someone lit the black flame candle. Oh, when they lit that, it was amazing. It yep. resurrected the 17th century sisters, and they're looking for revenge. Now it's up to three high school students uh, to stop these ravenous witches from wreaking a new kind of havoc in, on Salem before dawn on All Hallows' Eve. So this is going to be wonderful. I cannot wait uh, don't let us down Disney plus don't let us down. Hocus Pocus Two. everybody has been waiting for this film for 30 years. <laughs> it, it's amazing. I mean, I'm, I, I, I absolutely look at the trailer. You're going to get excited about this. I love it. Now, another big, huge thing that happened in the box office is probably one of the cutest characters to ever grace the uh, silver screen. And that would be the minions. Uh, they're so adorable, Dave and the minions with the rise of Gru shattering fourth, of July box office records with get this $129 million opening parents and younger kids are ready to return to the multiplex in droves with this uh, report from Hollywood reporter Dave it's uh, they want to see awesome animated family films you know this is this is I mean this speaks volumes this is unbelievable I mean you know to have this kind of an opening 
uh, is amazing. And by the way, uh, you know, Lightyear, which opened, you know, several weeks ago, opened to a tepid 51 million in second place and has taken a nosedive at the box office. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, are you kidding me? A Pixar film being beat out by minions? Yep. But here it is. That's exactly what's happened. I never thought we'd see the day. Yeah, Minions, Rise of, uh, of Gru. And by the way, they had a brilliant marketing campaign. Uh, they were everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I saw uh, Minions on CNBC uh, this past week uh, doing cross promotions with companies. I mean, it was just really something else. So uh, very excited about uh, the fact that this movie, you know, any animated movie that goes out and does this kind of, uh, you know, box office business, it's just great for the animation business. Mm -hmm. Well, once again, I think we should go back and look at what works in marketing a film. Market the fun. Market the fun. Look at Top Gun. Market the fun. Look at the, you know, Doctor Strange. Market the fun. When you market the fun, people will come out in droves. And I think they're going to do it with Thor. And this right here with the minions, I mean, they definitely are marketing the fun. You know, people want to escape and they want to be entertained. So if you stay to the basics of why people go to the movies, I think you'll knock it out of the park. Absolutely. Yeah. Market the fun and they will come. That's right. There well, something go. something in our uh, regrets part of the show, it's, it's always difficult to talk about some of these uh, legends and uh, giants in our industry. But Gregory Jean... Of Mar- a Star Trek model maker and two-time Oscar nominee who's passed away at the age of 76. He worked with effects pioneer Douglas Trimble, and his credits include Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Dark Knight Rises, Avatar, and Mulan. He is an industry giant, and uh, you can't find talent like this every day. He, he was one of a kind. Yeah, and you know something? I wanted to flag this because, you know, he's not a household name. Most people probably wouldn't know who he was, but it, it, I think it's important to give a shout-out to some of these uh, real titans uh, of the industry that are behind the behind the cameras, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, doing, and in this case, doing some incredible model uh, work. Yes, uh, I have been a fan of his work, like Douglas Trimble, on Star Trek and all the Star Trek films, all the way up to Star Trek Deep Space Nine when they were using miniatures, the miniature space stations, the all the models of the uh, USS Enterprise, as well as the Klingon battleships. I mean, his work as a Star Trek fan is le- absolutely legendary um, with the design. And of course, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, who could forget the the immense work of the special effects and the model making of that spaceship and that spaceship was insane. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, rest in peace. Uh, you will be miss Gregory Jean and, um, there, but we'll, his work will live on, uh, in all the incredible films he worked on. 100%. So rest in peace. And now we move on to our featured guest of the week. Mark Cole is our guest. Let's do it. Hey, everyone here. It's so awesome. We should try to find out where we are. We need to be ready for whatever stands ahead of us. What combat experience do you have in your world? Copied a couple wrestling moves that were explicitly said not to try at home. Got it. Grab your swords. Everything in Everrealm 
mouth as it appears. I know everybody here wants to win a challenge. Do you trust everyone on the team? The magic of Everon is everywhere. Redeem the sacred bond between Everrealm and the Fates. There are eight ways in and only one way out. Let's go. I think there's a bigger goal at the end than just winning. Oh my gosh, how do I get out of here? And now the quest begins. The quest. They're all very hesitant. They were like, teenagers are gonna help us save our kingdom. Only on Disney Plus. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, once again, I mean, we've got these incredible guests. We've got cinematographer Mark Cole, whose most recent credits are with The Quest on Disney+. Plus, But this guy has been around for like 25 years, and he's worked on shows that I think everybody's heard of, like Restaurant Startup, America's Most Wanted, America Fights Back, and uh, plenty of other shows. I mean, it's The Wonderland Murders. First of all, I want to welcome Mark. Mark, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I know, and, and you know, our studio audience is fantastic. They just go wild every time. Uh, but I, I have to say, uh, in looking over all the shows you've worked on for more than, you know, for the better part of uh, almost three decades, uh, you seem to specialize in a lot of documentary and reality-based shows. Is, would that be a fair assumption? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it does. I used to do a lot of scripted work back in the day, but uh, yeah, that evolved into reality. Yeah. And, and do you enjoy uh, working on, on documentary reality type shows? Um, I enjoy working with real people and telling real stories. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, how did you get into the business? Like where did you go to school and how did you break in to become a cinematographer? Um, well, first of all, I didn't really go to school. I was, uh, believe it or not, I was a, a, a rock and roll guitar player back in the day in bands. And um, I, uh, uh, I was in, I worked in the South and uh, or played in the South. And uh, around when I was around 20 years old, one of our uh, groupies or roadies or what have you worked at a film company. And I had said to him, you know, I had an interest in photography at a young age. And, um, you know, I was projector boy in high school. You know, I was the guy that loaded the projector and stuff for, yeah. for uh, school. So anyway, I had this interest in, in film. And, uh, and I said, hey, if you're ever looking for anybody at this company you work at, let me know. And one day he did. And I went in and uh, the guy liked me and hired me. And then I kind of just fell into it. I remember the first time I grabbed a, a big camera, it felt natural to me. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I dove in head first, yeah. And, 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 you know, for our listeners, can can you sort of tell them what a cinematographer does in sort of layman's terms? Uh, sure. I mean, basically, the overall image of the movie TV show look is the job of the photographer, right? 
so like they used to say, there's two directors on a movie set or a film set. There's one that directs the story and there's one that directs the photography. So they collaborate well because we're in a visual medium and a lot of the story, it can be told if done uh, intelligently through the visuals alone, right? An image tells you a lot about what's going on, not just the words on the screen, right? So I think uh, um, it's a very evolutionary process, but um, you know, it's deciding the camera movement, it's deciding the lenses, it's deciding obviously the lighting, but I get very involved in the production design and the wardrobe, everything that creates the overall quality of an image uh, is something that a director of photography should be involved in. And, and you're, you're essentially really composing each shot, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. So you're you're setting up where uh, where the camera is going to be placed, uh, and, and I take it you're doing inventive um, uh, use of the camera, right? You're taking you know low shots, high shots, you know different angles. You're trying to change it up a little bit to make it more visually uh, pleasing. Well, I mean that's a big question because the first of all, I have in in a feature film, it's more. Uh, you know, a collaboration with the director and uh, and uh, the cinematographer, the director of photography. When you go into like competition shows and reality shows, you have uh, uh, operators that that decide because you have made, you're running many many cameras, and, and since it's a live event, you don't have time to noodle each frame. You sure. you have to, you have to create the synergy with your camera guys, uh, you know, or women ahead of time, right? But but. W- you know, on something like the quest, what was different was this was a blend of scripted and reality, which are two very different um, mediums. They're very different, you know, so we had two different directors. Um, So when you block a scene with real actors, you run a rehearsal and you lay marks down on the ground and you, you know, you decide where the frame is and they know the frame and they come, you know, everybody composes the frame according to the scene that best advances the scene and advances the story. Um, I'm a big fan of not drawing attention to the camera Mm -hmm. so that the camera is a fly on the wall and that the story is king. Right. So that you create this a mood with your shot, you create a feeling with it. You're um, you're not drawing attention to it. The second you start drawing attention to the camera, the viewer says, oh, there's um, I'm watching something. I'm not immersed in it. Right. So I think um, and part of that is uh, there is an instinctual process to placing the camera in a certain place or or. Um, the way you photograph something, you, you know, a lot of it has to do with the, uh, the, you know, the feeling of the scene or the feeling of what's really happening. So a lot of, I'm sorry, I'm going down a long rabbit hole here, but you know, there's a lot of technology out there and most of it's pretty good. And, you know, you can turn on any camera now and they all look good, but now what do you do with it? That's where the skill lies. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah. And I think one of the things you, that, that you touched on, it, it, it seems to me that you have actually more time on a feature film to actually spend on setting up your shots than you do in a reality based competition type of show. Right. Uh, in, in some sense on the on the re- reality based competition type shows, uh, do you have uh, a group of camera operators that that you've worked with from project to project that people that you call up and say, hey, I'd really love for you to work on this project with me? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's kind of where I was going with this thing is like, OK, 
So like, let's take the quest, for example, this was, yes. First of all, we do take a lot more time on a feature film because we rehearse, it has scripted page, you know, people, you know, we work all the kinks out and we know where we're going and whatnot. Competition's live television, right? It happens once. There's no take two, there's none of that. So you either get it or you don't. So you have to have lots of different cameras, lots of different angles, look for the unexpected. And when it happens, it happens and that's it, right? So yes, um, you know, I, the, the skill set in those camera operators are very different, right? Mm-hmm. So the first show I did with, uh, you know, that was like this is I did a show, um, well, it didn't, it didn't have immersive uh, scripted and reality, but, you know, it was a big competition show called The Great Escape, and I think it was 2011, and they wanted it to look like a movie, right? So I came in because I had done movies um, and I, and I, you know, created a look, but it was basically live television. So, because it was a competition show. So we had trouble with camera operators on that show because I wanted it to look a certain way. And my feature film camera guys could frame really well, but they couldn't keep up with the competition. Right. And then the, the camera guys that could keep up with the, the, uh, the challenge, weren't really framing to my liking. Right. So we had, we had, this, we had a lot of trouble. We had, you know, we had a fire and hire and, and adapt. And eventually we got this really good group of camera guy, people. And it's not just that department, it's all departments that could move at the speed of reality and also have the instinctual eye of a feature film camera operator. Right. So we're in a different era now in 2022 a lot of these skills are blended. So we really had to hire a, an amazing crew that could do, that could, you know, have to maintain the look of this show and, you know, be able to work on a dolly steady cam or, or a techno crane and, you know, on the movie part and then snap that camera off, throw it on their shoulder and chase kids through the forest at night. Right. right. So that we this, uh, have somebody that had, had many people that had this uh, diverse skill was, uh, was I was very lucky to get the team that I got, you know. Yeah. And, and, and just so our listeners understand, the quest is really kind of like a hybrid reality show in my mind, because it is the it, it's like watching, say, Game of Thrones, but then you have eight contestants that come in and participate in this storyline and and have to each episode go after uh, various items uh, until they get down to the end of the the series. I mean, it, it, is that kind of a way of describing the, the these talisman type of objects that they're going after, and that it is sort of this hybrid between a straight on reality show and and a you know drama like uh, you know Game of Thrones. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It was no. I mean, that's the unique thing about the quest is. Um, you know, the producers were the producers of Lord of the Rings and the amazing race. Right. Yeah. Oh, very different. Right. But, uh, they all needed a camera. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, uh, it's very different and, and approaching it cinematically was like, we had to just kind of reinvent everything because it, we, it, what is it? Right. It, it's, 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 it's a new, new thing. So, you know, we had discussions like, do we make the movie part look like a movie and then the reality part looked like a reality show. So they don't think that the kids are, you know, just bad actors or something. Right. So they know that's real. And then this isn't uh, kind of thing. And then, you know, we went down that rabbit hole and then we started, 
you know, kind of kicking it back and forth. And then, you know, this wasn't on network, it's on Disney streaming. So Disney plus, which is obviously streaming. So we could develop, we, we could, we could go at this thing a little differently than network format. Right. So overall, like there's in a reality show, you would normally have what we call background packages on each contestant explaining who they are, where they came from. You know, this is Timmy from Ohio. He's a math student, right. Or whatever. Um, so we know who they are and then we would do intermittent interviews throughout the show. So we know how they're feeling, et cetera. We tell the story through their voice. Well, Disney didn't want this to feel and look like a reality show. Right. So we didn't, you know, so we didn't have like act breaks or any of that sort of thing. So, and obviously there's no interviews in this. So we built like, for example, different areas in this, in the show for them, the kids to converse. So you know, we had a fire pit right outside the Fates Temple so they could come down, hang out and organically start chatting about who they are, their struggles. And we capture that organically. And and then, you know, most people binge watch now so that, you know, their character evolves. You start to get to really know who these people are throughout the episodes organically. Right. So that was one thing we did because we had to break that mold of the interviews and the background packages and then visually, I went in it and, you know, everybody throws the word cinematic around all the time, right? I want this show to look cinematic, cinematic, cinematic. And I, uh, you know, watched a lot of uh, Netflix and Disney and, you know, I, 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 it came to me to approach this full-on cinematic and to shoot it anamorphic. So this is, I think, one of the first reality shows ever shot widescreen. So we shot the entire show widescreen and, you know, I could go down the technical whole of how we pulled that off with the equipment, but it was very, I think it's unique to, uh, to any television show. So this, you know, this basically had three components. It had the scripted component, right? That was just actors, you know, uh, establishing the story and the, and the drama. And then we had the full on competition that the, ch- the kids had to, you know, solve a puzzle based on virtues. Right. And then the third component, which was really the magical part was the ad lib interaction between the actor staying in character and the kids being themselves. Right. So the actors were amazing to me. They had to know their character so well that when the kids you know, said whatever it is, they were, they asked a question, they had an answer that was legit based on the research they had done themselves on their character. So they so, always stayed in character. So yeah, that was, I, I was going to say, so well, they're, 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 uh, uh, they're living, uh, totally. uh, on, on those aspects of it. So, so not only do they have a script for the main storyline, but, but interspersed through that script is them having to just stay in character and come up right. with whatever the answer is to one of their questions. And also advance the story yeah. because yeah. they say gibberish that wouldn't make sense, but they had to think, enough that whatever interaction was advanced, you know, advanced the story and, you know, but that was live television. Yeah. I I have a a question, Mark, where was, where was the quest shot? The first one or this one, or this the the, 2022 quest. quest. uh, It was shot in Calistoga. There's a, there's a a vineyard up there that we luckily got, you know, during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was was just curious. It had that forest. Yeah. It had a forest. well, the forest burned. <laughs> Whoa. So we had so many challenges. I don't know how many times we pushed because this thing got greenlit right before COVID, I think. Yeah. And then, of course, shut, shut down. We were supposed to shoot in Vienna. 
uh, where we shot the original one um, and then uh, got shut down. So nobody could travel. And I don't know exactly the, the, the dynamics, but then it came back to life again. If we, if we could shoot it in the U S right. So everybody was scrambling to look for location. And then when they found the vineyard up in Calistoga, uh, which was really perfect because I think I liked it better than Austria myself. Uh, we had many inside rooms and whatnot. Plus, um, you know, Calistoga is a tiny city and we could quarantine there very easily. Mm. So it, it worked out real well during COVID, even though COVID made it, you know, tremendously difficult. I never even saw my crew's face until the wrap, you know, until we were done. Wow. Nobody knew what anybody looked like, but anyway, um, and then right before we got pushed and pushed, and then we were, we were all for all, all uh, you know, uh, full steam ahead. And then the fire came and it burned part of the castle. <laughs> so wow. we stopped again. And then I flew up there to check it out and it had just burned a little part of the castle, but um, it was really a happy accident because it, it, what it did is there was so much foliage in the forest. You could barely walk through it. Right. And now and then it turned it into, you know, Wizard of Oz, it, like it made it burned off all the vines and stuff. And, it, and all of a sudden, the woods and the forest surrounding the castle had this dark, magical, mystical vibe to it. That was wow. that we really milked and used. And it, and it is it is now a character in the show that, you know, it, it, I got to say, it really is, because I was I was actually really amazed at uh, just the settings and and the creepiness of it all, right. uh, the way you guys had lit it, the atmospherics uh, that were in it. And, and I will say to our listeners, if you haven't had a chance to watch the quest, you really should. It's on Disney Plus. And uh, for me, uh, this really is a wonderful blend uh, of a real sort of cinematic television show. Uh, and a reality show. And, you know, I don't watch a lot of reality TV, but I really like this a lot. I, I felt that it really worked. Uh, and, and so I, I just put it out there to our listeners that give, give this a shot on Disney plus, but Mark, what, what other challenges did you guys face doing this kind of show? Oh my gosh. I mean, so many, like so many, this, this, project is a you know hundred million dollar movie on a reality budget and schedule <laughs> i yeah. mean we shot we shot eight one hour episodes in 20 days like that's crazy fast wow. right wow so but the, here's the thing is like when you do reality and i use that word lightly I, I like to call this show more of a competition show than a reality show because we're not following people around in their kitchen and stuff right mm. um but um, you know, is, you know, when you shoot a film, usually you're looking one direction at a time, right? So you light for one direction, you know, the shot looks good this way, right? And then we do what we call, we turn around, we, and then we move all the equipment, we flip it around and we shoot the other way, right? And that way you can make things look better, right? So lighting is not always look good in one direction, right? So, I mean, in, in all directions. Right. So but in reality, you don't have you can't see any equipment. You don't know where the, anybody's going. So you can get spun into a corner real quick because you can't put any, you know, people gear and uh, and things just don't always look good from all directions. It's very difficult. So that was one of the biggest challenges is obviously we knew where the actors were going to go, but we didn't know where the kids were going to go. And not knowing that is fearful, especially when you're shooting at night 
they're going to run off into the dark and then we're in trouble, right? And we, but we couldn't affect them. We couldn't stop any of the action. That's all organic, right? So we had to be ready, always in preparation for where they might go, but at the same time, make everything look good, right? And that, that's tricky. So we had hundreds of lights rigged in the ceilings all over the castle, all on dimmers, all the wires in the ceilings, you know? So I pretty much, I, I key lit everything from the top so that it would look good from all directions and we could also hide equipment. And then we just put small eye lights, uh, you know, strategically placed everywhere so we didn't lose the actor's eyes, whatnot, but uh, it allowed us to move at the speed of reality television, which is very, very difficult, so. You, you made the, uh, the, the comment that uh, you, it was organic with, with the, uh, the, the kids who are the, the competition part of this. Um, were they getting any kind of direction from a director or were they said, we're, we're, we're going to start at point A and you're going to walk up to the castle. How are you going to do that? No, you know, no, there, there's no direction at no, all. Oh, no. wow. That, that makes it that much harder. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that, it's yeah. not really, I mean, it isn't really a competition or a reality show if we're telling what to do, is it? Then well, it turns, I, then it turns, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, we, no, I, we I, really, I, we really wanted to honor that, the, that component that it was really them, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, you, you mentioned Mark um, that this is a, a little bit of a, a change from the previous iteration of the quest. And uh, I said in the pre-interview, we were talking about how I was a fan of the ABC version back in what, 2014 and it was, it had that format of, you know, the reality uh, interviews and the, the cut scenes and the different things like that with the interviews. And I feel like this, this time out, not, uh, there's so many things like uh, having certain actors play uh, a role uh, of the, um, oh, the, 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 um, well, anyway, they, they were giving instructions in a way that it felt very organic and that they were able to lead, um, these these teenagers into a place where they could you know naturally just do what you wanted them to do in the space that you've provided in the arena that you you, you put them in i thought that was just brilliant you know so yeah it's part of this it was part of the story yeah i mean the actors would tell them what to do but that's they're in the scene yeah but there was nobody you know backstage telling them anything or or you know any of that yeah it was all it was all organic. Yeah. Yeah. I really dug that. And, and of course there is that difference, you know, of, of how that network TV uh, show was with the way it looked and it was all HD and it looked, it looked really nice, but you have that cinematic, as you say, that cinematic quality yeah. Uh, yeah. that you put in, you know, with the lighting. And I thought it was, I think it looked really, really genuine and, um, and real. And I, I really appreciated the, every little detail you guys were able to in, integrate into the show, not just the, the look and the surroundings, the settings, but also, you know, just a shout out to the costumers. I thought the costuming and the makeup was amazing. You know, those demons that were holding the, the different jewels and different things like that. You yeah. know, when you get down really into it, it looked so good. You know, very, very much, uh, you know, almost like a, you know, Star Trek uh, creature workshop there, you know, kind of, kind of vibe. It was really, really well done. Oh, for sure. Listen, it, you know, as a cinematographer, whatever, if you're pointing the camera at something that's amazing, it makes it like, you know, it's, it's, it makes it so much easier. Right. I mean, the costume, and by the way, the makeup, you know, that was, we didn't do any touch up in post. Like nobody, oh. that was, that was really there. So part, I mean, part of the story is that, 
you know, we needed the kids to really react. Like we couldn't have them reacting to a green screen, right? So like in one episode, we had wispets of these, you know, the things that are flying around, those were drones. So we really had, you know, they had things to look at. They were not put in in posts, right? So those, those, all those things were kind of thought out. So all the makeup, all the visual effects, most of them were uh, done in camera live. Nice yeah. practical, that, that, practical. That's looking. really amazing. Practical, yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. You know, what? I, one of the things that I have to say when we're talking cinematography and we're talking quality here, um, I, I'm very impressed with uh, quite a number of the limited series and series that have been popping up on some of the streaming channels. Uh, you know, on Disney Plus, you know, when you look at shows like the The Mandalorian or uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, I mean, these are uh, cinematic experiences that you're getting on a streaming service. And I kind of felt that way about the quest. I mean, just every aspect of it, you know, uh, the, the quality level was, was sort of off the charts for what you would expect of a competition reality type show. Well, that's what we were going for. And, you know, yeah. and obviously the Mandalorian had a whole lot more money yeah. and, a whole lot, and a whole lot more time. Sure. I really, I, we, we all, uh, from the crew appreciate that comment that, cause that's what we were going for because, you know, when we first, when I first got the job, you know, I kept hearing about the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian. I was like, what is this show? The Mandalorian. <laughs> and I watched it and went, Oh no, Oh my God. You know? So we, got <laughs> yeah, to, but, but you know, yeah, again, we really have to up our game here, you know? Yeah. So. It's striving for that level of quality. And I yeah. think that I, I, that's becoming a hallmark on Disney plus they, yeah. they're actually really putting the quality into it. Uh, when they do these types of shows. And I'm curious to know, is this going to continue or is this just, I mean, they did it in 2014. They've revived it for 2022. Is, they, is there going to be a 2023 20, season? Oh, we, we have no idea. We, you know, I'm sure they're, they're checking numbers and seeing how it does. And, you know, streaming takes a while for people to find out about it. You know, that's why it's good. We're doing the podcast here because, you know, it can be a black hole, right? So, you know, most of, I mean, like shows that I'm discovering for the first time have already been on for three years, you know, and then I go, oh my God, how did I miss this? And then you get in, right? So it it takes, you know, takes a a minute for, to build a fan base, to get out there for, you know, word of mouth, you know, this, this kind of promotion here. Um, So I think it's going to take a minute before they decide if they want to do it again or not. Yeah. And and obviously, I mean, there's an arms race going on with all the streaming services and the amount of content that's being created. And I don't think there's any individual that's going to be able to capture and see everything at at any given time. Uh, And you do have to rely on hearing from friends and, you know, listening to a podcast or reading an article online or whatever uh, to find out about some of these things that may slip through the cracks that you don't hear about. Uh, and, uh, I, I was thrilled, uh, when, uh, when we were able to book you on the show, cause it gave me an opportunity to watch something I might not otherwise have watched right away, uh, and may have heard about six or eight months from now, because people would be saying, Oh my gosh, have you seen the quest? You know? So uh, I think I think it's hugely important to to be out there talking about it. Al John, I remember when I was the the contestants on the show, the 
the stars of the show. When I was their age, I played Dungeons and Dragons and I watched, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. And I really appreciated that, that care and attention detail that you had for, for this show. It seems like it was put together with a lot of love and I didn't feel like at all that it was, uh, talking down to the, not just the audience, but even the participants of the show, I felt like it was, it was well done. And, and I wanted to, you know, as a kid, I wanted to experience that kind of immersion. That's why we love going to the Disney parks. That's why we play Dungeons and Dragons to just open up that, that uh, opportunity for imagination to run wild. And I think this is a great family show. I think it's uh, great for kids and uh, it's just a lot of fun. So um, yeah, no, kudos no, to you guys. There was, I mean, we had so many incredible creative people working on us. I mean, all the producers are just geniuses, you know, and uh, to be able to pull this off in the time allotted with the money allotted, um, you know, it was daunting. It was really daunting. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was just a part of a giant team, um, but we, we, the, the way things worked and the way we executed it, it was, you know, this synergy of all, all departments, working towards one goal. Cause we knew we were doing something different, right? We knew, we knew it was going to be unique. We didn't know what it was going to be because how do you, you just don't know. And that's part of the excitement of it. And that's, I think why you watch it is because you don't know, you know, when you, when you read a script, you know, where it's going, right. Or, you know, you have it in your hand, but when you do a mix of both, um, you know, it's, it's new territory. Right. And that, and our job as filmmakers, I mean, it, since there is so much, out there to watch and whatnot. It's really our job is just to keep the viewer interested, right? To make something interesting, to make something different, to make, keep them looking at the screen and wondering what's going to happen next, right? So, you know, when we, I think when we went into this, you know, that you want to overthink it of what it wants to, you know, what it should be or what it should do, but then it's just like, just let it go. Just let it be what, it, you know, just kind of let it evolve. And, you know, you stay interested because you don't know what's going to happen next. Right. And that's our job. We're telling a story, but it's happening in many different ways. It's happening with actors. It's happening with real life kids. It's happening with their challenges. It's based on the virtues. You know, there's a lot of really interesting little nuggets in this thing. And, it, uh, you know, the music is amazing. The graphics, the animation, all of it, it you know, it, not one component fell apart every all the all the boxes were checked i think they're all all, all of uh, superb quality in, in this I, product i have to tell you i was impressed with the special effects i have a special effects background uh and uh i was impressed with the special effects for a show like this uh and i i came into it not really with any expectations i wasn't sure what i was going to experience here uh but i was pleasantly surprised by it I'm curious, uh, when you, you said you guys shot this in 20 days uh, up in, uh, in the vineyard, uh, did you guys, aside from the pandemic and the fire and everything, you were all quarantined together, like in a little village, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and did, did the crew and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just everybody just mix together and be, and were friendships born were you know, all of those kinds of things that you would expect to happen on a set happen? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the, the camera team, obviously I knew right beforehand I had worked with someone new, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, it's like going to battle, you know, you sure. Each other's back. That nobody complained. Uh, I mean, the camera team is just 
outstanding. I mean, outstanding, you know, uh, you know, you create, I uh, created boards and, you know, visuals and, you know, work, you know, we went through scripts. So everybody, one of the things I really like to do is get everybody involved with the creative all, you, deep, deep, deep. So it's inside them. So they know, and they don't really need direction from anybody after that. They instinctually know what the show is about each character, where they're going, what they're doing. And, you know, they already, they have that, uh, instinct. You know, I have fired more cameramen that are really technically good, but they don't have that instinct. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's what you can't teach. Right. That's something that evolves. So, uh, that evolves through experience and, and, uh, all of, all of that of being, uh, being on set. And so it's, it's second nature. Right. Sure. So that, that's what this team had is that, and then they're, they, they, we all knew we were doing something different. So everybody was excited every day. There was no, Oh my God, I don't want to go shoot, you know, this reality show attitude and they're tired and bored. They were excited about it the whole time. And, um, you know, to be able to operate at that speed and keep that level of quality, it's like a pit crew. There's no, there's no room for error. And we really, you know, did better than I ever thought we could. So it was amazing. Were you shooting mostly during the day or at night? Both. Well, we had, well, we had a lot of, well, we had a lot of rules because we were working with minors. You know, so we had oh, that, yeah. bit. <laughs> so, you right. know, not that we didn't have enough challenges, right? So then we had time restrictions and uh, things. So, um, you know, we, we had an amazing, you know, AD and uh, they, you know, we just, we had to break up into two units sometimes because we just couldn't, you know, manage it quick enough. We So everybody had, again, had to know the material enough that they could step up and they could change places if we had to because everybody knew the, the overall uh, end goal, right? So yeah. it, it wasn't like somebody didn't know how to fill in for somebody else. So we had uh, that going for us as well. So, and, and, I, and I take it there was a person on set. It's almost like when you're, when you're recording a score, you, you have the orchestra wrangler uh, who's got the stopwatch and they're telling you, hey, uh, you know, uh, after this cue is recorded, uh, we got to give them a 10 minute break, you know? So yeah. I'm imagining you had somebody similar to that. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Wrang- wrangling yeah. all of the, the child yeah. actors. I, and I hate to say yeah. child, they're young adults almost. You know, uh, but they were they were under eighteen. Yeah. Well, no, no. There's a whole AV department that schedules, and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and uh, you know, the uh, the other question I was going to ask you was: Did you guys use storyboards? Did you storyboard any of this out, or uh, were they quick thumbnails or finished storyboards? Because I I have a lot of friends in the industry that actually storyboard on feature films and even TV shows, uh, but on a show like this, were you using storyboards? Um, yeah. Well, like I said, I had, we had two directors. We had Jack Cannon doing the reality portion and Harold Kronk doing the, the, the scripted and uh, Kronk, as we call him, he would uh, board a lot of the scenes out. Um, yeah. yeah but, but normally, you know, boards are a good reference, but you know, it, blocking is what's important. So, you know, yeah. to be able to block the actual uh, screen uh, scene with the actors gives you a much better visual idea of the shots needed because once you see it laid out in a rehearsal or whatever, um, then you, then, you know, the components, but for, for sure. And Kronk has a, an amazing artistic, uh, flair. He can draw very well. So he would draw some very specific, uh, shots that we would need to advance the story, you know, so that those were boarded out as well. But, um, and then of course the competition is, 
um, you know, we, we sketch it out as camera plots of how we're going to rotate cameramen, you know, which, what's our screen direction, who's getting what shots. So that's blocked out in more of a, a camera a plot kind of pro, you know, layout that we do. So they're very different. And that's, that's what I was getting at earlier. We're literally doing two vastly different types of production in one. So mixing the mediums of, and the people and the equipment, you know, is, was, was a very, is very, very different because there's lenses you use for cinema and there's lenses you use for reality and there's gear you use, you know, and even the equipment is very different. So, you know, again, we're blending like things that, you know, we we just, it was, it was a lot of, you know, a lot of technical things as well as skills to, to pull this off, you know, the audio, you know, yeah. the way they operate audio and reality is obviously different than a little bit different than feature films. So again, everybody had to have multiple skill sets um, so that we could pull off this quality at that schedule on that schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, having shot the whole show, did you guys do a postmortem afterwards? Did, did you, uh, has there been a postmortem where you sit in a conference room and say, well, this worked, that didn't work. I, I think the next time around we should do this, that, or the other thing. Um uh, was there anything like that or is there just no time for those kinds of things? Well, no, we didn't really, it didn't kind of go that way. I mean, I'm sure at Disney they did, you know, um, I wasn't really involved in that. I, you know, the post part I was involved with, this was obviously the coloring, the, yeah. you know, the finished product of, of like that. But as far as uh, uh, structure and story, I wasn't really involved in it and COVID, you know, separated everybody. So yeah, uh, it, made, it made it more difficult, obviously. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the viewers will let us know, right? So. Well, yeah. Well, how about you, though? I mean, is there is there looking back on doing that shoot? Is there something you would have done differently, or did you feel like it all fell together? Um, as far as the the shooting of it, I mean, yeah, of course we always learn, right? There's yeah. always there's different things. Um, I uh, yeah, I mean, there's little things I would noodle here and there, but um, I think overall. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't know if we got lucky, but it, it went better than, you know, I thought, cause you know, one hiccup, I mean, we were, we were shooting, I think some days, 12 pages of dialogue a day, it's 15. I mean, it was wow, really, so they, you know, I, I got to give a shout out to the actors too, because, um, you know, they always had to stay in character. They, they, there was no time for a take two or three. There just really wasn't many, you know, time for that. So, and, and, and when a crew is moving at that speed, it's extremely distracting for an actor, right? Because everybody's standing in their eye line and there's this and COVID and, you know, there's all these different protocols and they had to wear the, the, the little, the, the clear face shields and, you know, just a lot of stuff for them to do. Cause I've worked on lots and lots of films and I'm always very uh, cognizant of the actor, very mindful of them not to, you know, when we're, you know, when it's time to shoot, you know, where it's quiet and, you know, with the cameras are, are invisible as much as they can to not distract it. They're, you know, doing their process, which is very difficult. And uh, so they really, you know, had their lines done, you know, down very well. And uh, they, it was, it was really amazing to watch, to be a part of. You know. I, I'm imagining during, during the pandemic up there, it must've been exceedingly quiet. Like you probably didn't have planes flying overhead much. Uh, I mean, you, you know, that those ambient noises that sometimes, you know, uh, you might hear when you're shooting on location, you know, a helicopter, uh, you know, where, where you have to kind of just stop and let something pass. 
you didn't really have anything like that, did you? Um, you know what? My head was in a different area. I don't <laughs> recall. <laughs> you know, I was in, but but I will I will tell you this though. The, one of the most frustrating things was you know wearing masks and being on a radio. Right. Oh, nobody yeah. could hear. Nobody could hear anybody. First of all, we we were working through you know concrete walls. It was hard enough to get a walkie-talkie signal through, and 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 to run two or three units and to make sure lenses are getting run back or whatever. Everybody knows what's going on or where I am or what anything. There's 300 crew people, and everybody's talking through a mask. Uh, you know the radios aren't going through the brick walls, right? And so and then. So much of when we work, especially when we're shooting, is body language. You know, I can look at the camera guys, give them a look, or they can look at each other. And, you know, there's this, like, um, you know, this, this telepath- telepathic communication that crews have when they work together long enough that, yeah. you know, that was kind of hard to uh, decipher as well because you couldn't see anybody's face or anything, right? So there was a lot of communication that was what I think one of the most difficult uh, snafus going through COVID was, you know, not being able to see the crew's face or being able to hear clearly in the walkie. And, yeah. you know, we had 300 people on, uh, you know, 16 channel walkie was jacked, you know, and uh, it, that, that was one of the most difficult parts, but um, yeah. Wow. It's gotta be very difficult with this kind of reality competition slash drama to light all the actors properly. All that was designed for lighting and everything is light sources, right? So yeah. the torches were physically put in to, for key lights and people. So, you know, wherever they would go, we would be lit by these torches. Obviously, I chased them with artificial lights and stuff to, to amplify that. But to the viewer, that's natural, right? Yeah. And there's, so there's only a sun and there was only, you know, candles. And we designed lanterns that we made everybody carry. So they carried their own light with them so we could see them, right? So, you know, we, I didn't want light coming from nowhere just to light people like you see on a normal reality show that would have polluted the whole everything, right? Yeah, it's not a soap opera. And then it would look like an episode of Cops or something, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or the news or whatever. So that's exactly what we didn't want, right? Um, but it's hard to, to, like, you know, you have to unwind your brain and to just let it go that it's going to be okay. And, and they were really, you know, they let, let us, me and camera guys run with it. Um, and we did, we did, you know, go down the road with some new technologies and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we were shooting 10 terabytes of footage a day. Well, you know, something that, that I almost, I, I was going to date myself. I was going to say, how much film footage did you go through? <laughs> you know, but I, I knew you guys were shooting digitally, right. uh, but yeah, I mean, 10 terabytes is, I mean, that's a huge yeah. amount of data. Well, then we're also, background. we're also in the middle of nowhere. So we had to satellite this stuff up and get it out and, you know, back it up and, yeah. you know, we created show lots. So I had, you know, which are, the look of the show. We, so we were creating looks for each scene as we went each, you know, interior scene, you know, we had out, you know, and we started, we had, I had a colorist on set, a did, and we were noodling that every single moment of the day. So all of that was sent to the, to the colorist and they had a very good, they had a, a good blueprint of where to start with what we wanted, what I wanted it to look like, right. Where the blues yeah. And everything. So, and then of course we have to, you know, go back at the final cut and, and re, you know, go through it. But we honored, you know, we had these things mapped out, which um, was very important to, to maintaining the consistency and the look well, of the show. Yeah. 
And, and uh, once you're done with your part, when do you see and have you seen the entire show? Oh yeah, sure. No, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. For I a mean, while. you you've seen it when yeah. you did the color timing, obviously, right, right. Uh, in post. Uh, but have you actually sat down and watched it with a glass of wine or whatever, you know, on your own or with a group of friends? Yeah. Yeah. No, we had a, um, I had a screening party. Yeah. So when, when it first, I got, uh, you know, I got copies of it a couple of days before it was released full res. I had seen it, you know, without any visual effects titles or anything like that. Uh, I'd seen the, the, the string out and I mean the rough cuts online. And then, um, I only saw the quality of the image when we were doing color timing, but obviously you're stopping and starting and stopping and starting. Yeah no music or anything. So to, to your point, I didn't really see the entire thing until just a couple of days before it aired. And, um, but, uh, you know, Disney, the technology of the HDR and that what they use to stream is exceptional. Like yeah. it really holds up. And I have to say, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, from other shows and other networks that I've worked on, it's always disappointing by the time it gets compressed and, pump down the cable or satellite and yeah. they expand it out onto the television. It just, just cringe, but the quest really holds up quality wise. It's, it's exceptional. You know, we shot, um, we shot 4k raw on, on Sony Venice cameras, which is probably some of the higher, highest quality you can get, uh, in the original, on the original footage, which allowed uh, a lot of uh, latitude and, uh, and uh, color space for the, for the, the original image. So they had a lot to work with and it, and, the, and it held up like, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what's next for you? Um, I got a couple things hanging. I got a movie, I think in the fall. So pretty good sized project and, you know, a couple commercials to fill in the gaps until then maybe a documentary. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, and I take it when they come knocking for the second season of the quest, uh, are you, are you ready to jump back in? hundred percent. I'll open the door when they knock. Okay. Love it. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Mark, it, it, I gotta say, it's been a real pleasure talking with you and getting a little peek behind the scenes of Disney's the quest. Currently uh, all eight episodes are on Disney plus. There you go. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one. For a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we are back. And what an awesome, awesome interview with Mark Cole and The Quest. And Mark, so talented in, in what he was able to put together with his team during the pandemic. Uh, just a visually stunning show uh, as a hybrid. I, I just love it. It really is. And, and I was glad we had him on the show. And, you know, I, I have to say, I, I don't normally watch, uh, reality type shows. Uh, but this is, this is different as I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's kind of a hybrid. And, uh, I was really glad that we booked Mark onto the show because I went off and I watched the quest, uh, you know, before we did this interview and, uh, I just, I, I have to say, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it was really well done. Uh, and I would encourage anybody, any of our listeners, if you have a second, uh, you know, check out the quest on Disney plus. 
Once again, I think it's great family fair, great for the kids to learn about virtues and getting outside of your comfort zone to work as a team. So there's a lot of great lessons to be learned uh, when you're watching this and talking about it with the kids. And I know uh, we're going to do the same. Can't wait for more. So let's keep our fingers crossed for that. Dave, we're wrapping up another great show. Congratulations once again to our big book winner, Cody Hickman. You're going to be getting the Cloud Coats book thanks to Old Mill Press and Dave and Alan and everybody in there in that book. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we're looking forward to that. And don't forget, team, uh, thank you once again for supporting our show. Be sure to follow us on all of our socials. We are in uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also send us those emails. We'd love to hear from you for upcoming show info and as well as uh you know what you want us to cover we'd love for you to give us your show suggestions dave at skullrockpodcast.com or aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com dave you have got of course the final word well as always aljohn peace and love to all of our listeners out there in podcast land and uh go out have a fantastic week and we will See you next week right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast has been made possible by listeners like you. We would like to thank our show producers, Randall Lynch, Lindsay Scaffey, Spencer Wright, and Joshua Volker. To become a producer, become a monthly supporter of the show, please visit anchor.fm forward slash Skull Rock Podcast and click the support button. What's going on? It's Al John and Kristen here. Summer's in full swing. The travel guru herself has got an awesome travel deal for you to kick things off. Kristen, tell us all about it. So those of you California residents, there is a special ticket offer just for you. You can purchase a three-day ticket with admission to one park per day for as low as $83 per day. This deal is good now through September 15th of 2022. Nice. And for all your cruising needs, any cruise line, Disneyland, Walt Disney World, or even Universal theme parks here in the States, where can people email you for their free quote and have you book their next vacation? At themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.